Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hey, it's Cindy Howes and Lizzie No from the podcast Basic Folk, honest conversations with folk musicians. Basic Folk is truly changing the game with our well-researched deep dives that aim to empower the listener while fostering the folk community. I basically am writing worship music for youth group rejects. Maternal regrets and maternal guilt are universal. I try to make things that are beautiful and that are made with like a purity of intention. You can listen to Basic Folk on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network or at basicfolk.com. Hello, Harmonics family. Welcome back. Thank you so much for being patient with us while we've been working on figuring out what is next in the Harmonics world. How is everyone doing? I know it's a weird time of transition right now. Everything seems dark, quite literally, with daylight savings, but that also means that it's the holiday season with fires and blankets and everything cozy and baked goods and hopefully time, safe time with loved ones to celebrate this holiday season. I wanted to give you all an update on harmonics. I am going to be taking some time off from the show to focus on my own health and wellness. I have some very big things afoot, which I am excited to share with you down the road. And with everything we talk about on the show and what's become so important to me in recent years, with everything I've learned, is it would be hypocritical of me to not prioritize my own mental health and well-being. Basically, I need to practice what I preach and stay true to the message of harmonics and the show and to our community. And I just feel like I'm a little bit underwater with everything I have going on and I need to take a step back and prioritize my mental and physical health and then be ready to come back stronger than ever in the future. But don't worry, we're going to keep the newsletter running in the meantime, and we'll still be around on all our social channels. So make sure you go to harmonicspodcast.com to follow along in both those places, both the newsletter and our Instagram. Look, we may be taking a break from new episodes after this, but our community that we've built that we love so much isn't going anywhere. And for now, we are going to leave you with a very special conversation with the wonderful Amethyst Kia that we have been trying to coordinate for over a year. I am such a fan of Amethyst. She's an incredible singer-songwriter in the Americana world. She blends everything from old-time bluegrass and country to indie rock into her powerful songs. Listening to her new album, Wary and Strange, is a magical, highly emotional journey, and I really hope you sit down and give it a listen after this episode. She has had a huge couple of years. She was nominated for a Grammy for her song Black Myself, which she originally released with the supergroup Our Native Daughters, which also includes our Harmonics alum and dear friend Allison Russell. And Our Native Daughters is 
uh, an incredible band. If you don't know them, their album, Songs of Our Native Daughters, uh, is an album and a short film that you must listen to if you haven't already after this podcast. So here is Amethyst, the most beautiful, thoughtful, joyful soul. We had such a great conversation about mental health and the transformative power of therapy, feeling like an outsider, claiming her space and using her voice in the Americana and old time world as a queer black woman. She is just truly one of the most powerful uh, artists I've ever had the opportunity to have a conversation with. So without further ado, please enjoy Amethyst Kia. Amethyst, I'm so, so happy you're here with us. This has been oh. a long time coming, as we were saying. I've been such a fan of yours for such a long time. And so I'm just so excited you're doing this. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So I thank you for taking the time. Yeah. Can I just tell you, I'm already obsessed with your speaking voice. Oh, <laughs> it sounds so good. I'm like, well, you know, I've been talking with my management, playing with the idea about maybe getting into like voiceover work or doing other things with my voice. Um, you should. It's so yeah. good. So if I don't I know. Have, might see a, me somewhere else. <laughs> if I had a, a book on tape or like a radio play with your voice, it'd be awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I may need to pursue that then. If there's an audience for it, I'm I'm here. So <laughs> or we should go bigger. We should say a Pixar movie because then you'll get all the residuals. And oh, that would be, be rich, cool. And that'll be yeah. You're the, you're oh, the yeah. next Pixar. Residuals are a thing that I didn't learn about until I um I did my first commercial like I guess it's been two or three years ago um for uh, Bank of America and like there was like an entire year where um they were they had the wrong address for me so there was an entire <laughs> year where they just and I was really busy so like I just kind of forgot about it and then um eventually my booking agent's like hey they've been we've got all these back checks from this entire year um where they've been sent it to the wrong address. And then I got, then I finally got the check and I'm like, wow. Okay. Oh my God. And so, they were all built up. So I bet yeah. it was epic. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And it was right around the time when like, like when the pandemic and quarantine started coming in and I'm like, oh my God, I have money. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. <laughs> so the timing couldn't have been like more in line, but yeah, residuals are a thing that I did not know about. So I'm Act definitely interested in more of those at some point. <laughs> Actors, no. That's been the best part of Two Bro Girls. <laughs> those yeah. that you don't expect coming. There's actually a bar. I don't know if it still exists with the pandemic, hopefully. But there's a bar in LA called the Residuals Bar. And they have you, like, because a lot of times as actors, you'll get like a one cent residual, like from a foreign, and like I did like an NCIS <laughs> something episode when I was younger and like, you'll get one and they like have you like hang them on the wall, like the <laughs> lowest residuals. Um, that's pretty funny. That's but, great. <laughs> uh, speaking of the pandemic and everything, like how have you been doing? I, I mean, I always like it's been a while since we've recorded. You're our first one back in a while. And it's like, Okay, we're in 2021, but the pandemic's still raging pretty much. We're all vaxxed, which is helpful, or yeah. I assume most of us that are here in entertainment have to be. But um, yeah, yeah. How are, how are you doing? <laughs> well, you know, overall, the year, I guess, well, I guess the two years now, overall, they've been pretty good from the standpoint of 
because there's a there's layers to this. So <laughs> so <laughs> yep. on on the financial and career side of things in my life, that's been great. The only real sort of like curveball is just like, you know, when you release an album, having a tour, um, it's just being able to properly tour a record has proven to be a little bit challenging um, over the past like, you know, year and a half. So that's really the only thing that's been like getting back into playing gigs and people becoming, you know, more comfortable being out and going to shows. So like, that's really been like the only sort of like real snag. But as far as like, just in general, like, you know, my music getting out there, um, my, 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 you know, ever expanding team of people, like helping me get the music out there. Um, that's all been really wonderful on the like emotional side, as far as like dealing with like, I guess the different, the social ramifications of going into quarantine and being in lockdown and like how that affects like your, your, your entire social life and how you're used to socializing with people. And, um, I'm a person that I like to, I like to travel a lot. Um, you know, I like to, you know, find cool restaurants to eat at and like, it's, you know, two of those things are like kind of taken away very swiftly. So the way I've been dealing with it has been like, you know, obviously just going to therapy. I've had a therapist for the past like five or six years. So like, you know, there was some really difficult times of, you know, when I was having like an existential crisis about, you know, I'm not a touring musician right now. So what am I? Cause I tied my entire identity yeah. around that. Um, so having to like kind of redefine my existence and also realizing that like, oh yeah, there's lots of other things that I also like to do or that I'm like good at that like also can feed me my purpose. So it was really like redefining like what my purpose is and like being able to embrace multiple parts of myself that I've kind of taken a back seat on. And like, you know, I know the word self-care gets, <sighs> now the word self-care is, is kind of, kind of gets used as, as like a marketing ploy. But like, when I say it, I mean, like just listening to your body and your mind and actively seeking out things that are healthy in order to cope with whatever you're dealing with. So that's kind of what I've been working on over the past year and a half. And yeah, so it's been a little bit of a roller coaster, but also I've learned a lot about myself and about, um, you know, the people close to me. So if anything, I feel like I've come out on the other end feeling a little bit stronger and a little more, more confident and more sure of like myself and what I want to do. So I, I hear you so much on that. First of all, in the therapy thing, my, my husband for years has been, he's like a diligent go to therapy. And I, for whatever reason, like I would do it for a couple you know, a couple weeks and then be off. And then it was just really hard for me. And I'd rather just not talk about it, but during the pandemic, I mean, I don't know what's shout out to Susan. I don't know what I would do without <laughs> Susan at one point, <laughs> at one point during the pandemic, I said to her, I like, we were signing off and I, I want, I almost, I said, I love, like, I love you. See you later. Like, and I was yeah. like, oh my God, Michael, <laughs> I was telling Michael and my sister, my sister is a therapist. So I know the importance, but I love that you said like that you've been going to therapy and that that really helped you. Because for me, I felt the same thing during the pandemic and still kind of am this like stripping away of identities that kind of, especially with artists, because all of our industry shut down for the first time ever. And I, I yeah. felt the same way. It was the first time in 10 years I wasn't working. And like, 
I didn't, I didn't know what to do with myself other than tons of hobbies. Some have stuck, some have not. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I was just like, well, let me explore these different avenues and yeah, exactly. So that's what that became. So it became its own kind of adventure. And like, I know one of those, I, th I don't know who came up with this saying, but for the longest time I've heard that saying of, um, entertainment is recession proof. But like, uh, yeah. but it's not pandemic proof. <laughs> not so pandemic we've, proof. We've learned that. So, um, <laughs> so if anything, now I guess I'm in a position now where if something, like I'm knocking on wood, I'm not trying to bring any sort of weird <laughs> energy into the world right now. There's enough of that. But if for some reason things were to get shut down again. I now like have the skills and tools to be able to continue on because I ended up doing a lot of virtual gigs during the pandemic and that was still brought me in some income. So I basically learned how to like make my own videos, you know, right. um, a lot of us have had to like figure that out, whether it be, in fact, there was a guy I moved into the house I'm in right now I'm renting moved in last year and the guy that updated all the electrical stuff, <laughs> He was a guy that I went to school with and he actually was like a tour manager and a bass player and also owns like a studio. And so he like got his electrical degree because he's like, I, you know, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's crazy. Like how people, I mean, the way that we've been able to, a lot of people have been able to adapt is really mind blowing. So. Woke up this you something because this is something I'm so jealous of with all of you musicians, especially during the pandemic. And you touched on it when you said some of the stuff you were realizing you need another person as an actor. And this has been a struggle. My husband and I talk about this too all the time because he's an actor. It's 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 a medium where you you don't really you can't um do it. I mean you could do monologues in your room, but like unless you have another person, you know, the magic of acting is that connection between the other person and you know you need mm, a writer yeah. to write a script unless you write your own and all of that but so for us it was kind of like our whole like artistic expression was gone during the pandemic and we had to find outlets for creativity but my question mm -hmm. is like as a musician who can like pick up your guitar and like your identity as a musician will never change because you're you can always make music because you have that ability no matter what right yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's definitely an advantage when you are a musician. I do think it's an advantage to be able to, at the very least, accompany yourself or be able to play, be able to do more than one thing um, in order to move forward. Like for me, because I'm able to accompany myself singing and playing like a big portion of my career was doing a lot of solo gigs. And the reason being is because I realized I could pay bills doing a lot of solo gigs. So I really couldn't do a whole lot of band gigs because that would be the difference between, you know, paying my rent and buying food or like paying my band. Cause like, I'm not going to ask somebody to play for free for me. I'm not, I, that's something I just never really felt comfortable doing. Melancholy always seemed to work for me. Uncertain on my dreams. Stop. 
waters forms into shapes that never leave. Obviously, you know, I've been singing and playing for like 20 years and I never would have thought that developing that skill would <laughs> help me survive a pandemic. Like I just, it's not anything I would have ever imagined. So I just, I guess I picked the right thing, I guess, you know, but. <laughs> Did it change your artistic like process at all? Like not having to go on stage and perform because you literally couldn't and only doing virtual gigs? I mean, I think the way that it changed it was, so there was, two different ways that I could make a video. Um, one way was to, to was to record it and then send it to the promoter and then they would like play it, you know, on whatever platform they decide to play it on. Um, and then there was live streaming. Both were weird in their own way. And it I feel like because I was having to be, you know, camera person and lighting person, the way it affected me was like I had to double down to really be able to focus on the performance. Oh, yeah. Because my brain was having to split between two or three different things. The struggle really was learning two other skills while I'm also supposed to be performing. And so it didn't like it didn't like further my art, my artistic thing as far as like my songs or my playing. Really, it was just like all of the focus was really just on <laughs> getting the other stuff right. And then like I'm playing songs that I've been playing for like a year or two. So like it's just kind of almost working off of autopilot in a way. I mean, obviously, people saw the performances and they liked them. I got nothing but amazing compliments. But like anytime you're performing and you you're thinking about anything else other than your performance, like you run the risk of it not being like, like I could look at some of those videos and be like, you know, I did great, but like I could tell that like <laughs> I wasn't fully present. So that was, that Actors was what was- that too. <laughs> yeah. So that's what was really challenging. And like when I'm performing in front of people, it's like, and then there's present. like, there, 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 there's a sound crew that's, that's, that's checking the sound, um, people to help you load in, someone selling, my merchandise, like there's like multiple people taking care of stuff so I can just focus on performing. And I yeah. didn't, I didn't have that when I was, you know, in my living room, like setting all my, <laughs> setting everything up. So, so yeah, it, it definitely, it was, it was more challenging. I would say I can do it and I'm glad I was able to, but it definitely is more of a challenge when you're trying to do it alone. <laughs> and you, you and I share something. I, I, when I was reading about you, the, that you grew up having a lot of social anxiety. Um, and I've talked a lot on here about anxiety. It's, you know, been a huge part of my life. So going back to live performance, did you have any anxiety, like getting back on stage again after only doing virtual? Um, I did, I did have some anxiety because, you know, after doing that for a year, when I would do a live stream, the awkwardness was there's not a crowd response that you can hear or see. So like that was really awkward and I kind of accepted and got used to it, but it was still really weird. So doing that for like a year and a half, kind of being like I'm performing, but it's kind of weird. And then getting back on stage, the challenge there was that I had not really it was a combination of just playing all the way through and without stopping that took a little bit, but I would say the hardest, the most difficult thing about getting back on the road was really just traveling. I didn't realize how much traveling really takes physically on you until I started yeah. doing it again. And then I would get to the show and then I'd be like, I'm kind of, 
kind of tired. Like <laughs> I'm gonna have to like drink some caffeine or something. So while the transition back to stage was a little awkward, but like also it was amazing <laughs> because everybody was everybody was like equally as excited as I was to be back. So like that was a little easier to transition back into the actual performance aspect because it's like ah this is what I signed up to do. But the travel, like getting your I don't know, not your sea legs, but like, I don't know, your plane legs and your car legs, I guess. I don't know what you'd call it. But like, that was like, I was surprised at how more difficult it was. Like, you have to like, I guess, be in shape, like in travel shape, you know? So that was really the more difficult thing to transition into, even more so than the performing was just the travel, so. Interesting. Late at night when I feel alone I cry in darkness, screaming to the unknown Cause she's never coming back No, she's never coming back And let's talk a little bit about your childhood and music because I love, I love uh, just like your story of, of your dad. He sounds like such yeah. a great dad with like his musical tastes that were very yeah. he sounds like me because I have like the weirdest records of like all sorts of different genres but yeah <laughs> I'd love to talk about like your your childhood and your connection to music and then also like your social anxiety as a kid and how music like either helped you um, cope was it a coping skill um what music sort of looked like in those early years for you from like a mental health standpoint yeah well I mean I think I didn't really start developing any social anxiety until 12, 13, which I mean, I guess that's that's the usual yeah. <laughs> that's the usual time where like social awkwardness really kind of comes to the forefront. But um, but yeah, for those first 10 years, I mean, like for the longest time, you know, I would hear obviously whatever my my dad or mom were playing on the stereo and it was like, you know, a multitude of things. It was, you know, Dolly Parton. It was. John Luke Ponty, who's like a a jazz violin player, just all over the map of 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 music. So I grew up listening to that, and then like I think my first things that I listened to were like that like music that I had was like you know Sesame Street and like yeah. you know a lot of like the kids songs and that kind of thing. And then I really liked listening to like uh, like Mariah Carey and Michael Jackson, a lot of pop, a lot of a lot of pop artists like during that time period in the nineties. And then as I got older and then I started seeing music videos, so I'd see like, but I'd see Madonna, I'd see Janet Jackson, and then I would see like Nirvana and I would see Soundgarden. And so like, I just was seeing this mix of stuff, but like what really kind of set with me, the kind of music that I would eventually start to really latch onto is really anything that I really like the melody, you know, if I love the melody, and I also love stuff that's rhythmic. Like I always, anytime I go to a show, I always look at the rhythm section before I look at anything else. Cause I want to see how tight they are like that. So I'm really into rhythm. I'm really into melody. So anything that has that, those elements that I like, then I will, I will listen to it. So, so my own musical taste ended up being, you know, like R&B, blues, um, heavy metal, whatever pop music, like, so just a whole, wide range of stuff. So for me getting into like being 12, 13, my parents bought me my first guitar when I was 13. And um, at that time I started listening to a lot of like pop punk bands like Blink-182 and Green Day um, and that kind of stuff. 
And then after maybe like a year or so of playing, I came across or I was introduced to um, Tori Amos, the her mu- introduced to her music. Um, I wish I would be introduced to her. That would be amazing to meet her. I'd have to <laughs> like, try, I'd have to try hard not to cry because like <laughs> uh, there's because like she, her her songs and her musicianship were so inspiring to me. And it was like it was she was one of my first inspirations to actually attempt like to write songs and not really to like be famous or perform or anything, but just like writing songs. And so I started writing poetry, started writing songs and all during that time, you know, I, I was dealing with body dysmorphia. Um, I was dealing with the fact that yes, I'm a girl and I identify as being a girl, but I also like wearing like, you know, baggy clothes and like what, like I, I really, was confronted with the fact that I, by my peers, because I'm not seen as feminine, my, I guess, identity as a a girl is not really seen as valid. So I really dealt with, I got misgendered all the time. And like, it was, so that was an ongoing thing. Also my sexuality, that was something that I was trying to figure out. And then also growing up in a white suburban conservative area, and we didn't really we didn't go to church i mean we had a general idea of like there being like a like a higher power or something like that but there it wasn't any super strict thing so that was an issue because within like a three mile radius there'll be like eight baptist churches in in chattanooga tennessee which is where i grew up so so there was just a lot (laughs) i was like just like the antithesis of like the Southern American dream in like every possible way. So I found refuge in, in music and I found refuge in songs where people like Tori Amos were talking about their own pain and their own past, but like also overcoming it. So that's the kind of, those are the kind of songs and music that I really started to seek out and play. And then eventually I would um, transfer to a high school that was an arts high school. And so I got to hang out with like a bunch of weirdos and nerds for the last two years of high school. And I was like, okay, so theater there is a- kids. Yeah, yep, it was theater kids. I was kids. a theater kid. Yeah, so there was, yeah, there was band a theater kids, kids band. There, there was band and then there was writers, which I ended up being in the in the creative writing oh, aspect. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and I ended up taking classical guitar, which was also fun. So, um, but yeah, it, it was, that was really great for me. And it let me know, okay, there isn't anything wrong with me. I just needed to find my people, you know? Um, so that was my first real introduction into being like, wow, there are people out there that are also weird as hell and that's cool. So I'm going to keep pursuing this, the weirdness, which is what I, (laughs) which is kind of what I have called it. And so ever since then, you know, music has always been a way for me to process and to self-soothe. But there comes a time when that's not enough because because for me, I spent a lot of time by myself, which I enjoyed being by myself to a certain extent. But the problem is, is when you spend a lot of time by yourself, you end up inadvertently isolating yourself. So then when you go out into the world where like, maybe you're going to have to deal with or be around people that like maybe aren't your people or being able to adjust to different settings. That was really difficult for me. So 
finding that balance of like, and I also internalized all of my feelings. So like, I wouldn't talk about my yeah. feelings with people. And that takes a toll after of years and years of doing that, which is why like therapy has been so helpful because now it's like, I still don't enjoy talking about my feelings, but I know that if I, when I do talk about them, I will feel better. Feel better. And having someone that cares about you and listen and is listening, sometimes you just need someone to listen and like that, can make a world of difference because then you don't feel like you're alone. So yeah, I don't know. That's been my lifelong struggle is like letting my guard down and just letting things happen. So I pick the banjo up and they stare at me because I'm like I say. find it particularly a struggle, especially with what you went through in your past, being in the genre of sort of the Americana country uh, crowds? <laughs> did you feel the same sort of, um, like, did those feelings come back from childhood in any way dealing with that, the mainstream sort of country? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what ended up happening is when I, when me and my father moved to Johnson City, and I started going to the college here, East Tennessee State University. I started to explore like the world of like bluegrass and old time music and Celtic music. And cause that we have a program that does all of that, that actually there's like a degree program that you can actually get, uh, you can get a batch of arts degree in like bluegrass, old time and country music. Wow. Um, that happened like while I was minoring in it. And then I ended up switching and make that my major. Cause I was like, information technology i'll be able to make a lot of money but like i can't see myself sitting at a desk for 30 years working at the same company like i couldn't <laughs> see i couldn't see that for me uh so i was like well we'll try the music thing and then my dad was like so supportive like 100 like do whatever he could to help which was really amazing and he really did help a lot but when i started exploring this music i have this tendency to like like hyper fixate or hyper focus on certain things. Like, and once I really get into something, I like dive in head first and like have blinders on and I just go, go, go. And that's what I did learning about traditional music. What ended up happening is I got a sense of the kind of audiences that I was going to be playing for. So I actually ended up going back in the closet <laughs> for, wow. like se for like seven years. Oh God. Uh, that wasn't the intention. Right. It was just like, you know, and also, you know, I, the position that I came from where, you know, my mom, my mom had committed suicide. We started, we had, we started over from scratch in Johnson city for the most part. And like, I just didn't, I never felt comfortable really talking about myself or my past or I just didn't feel comfortable. So I, for like seven years, I really just, I didn't develop any really close relationships with anyone. I kind of kept people at a distance. I mean, I still would perform music and play and pursue that, pursue that, that really strong interest that I had. Um, and, you know, I played band shows, we traveled and played different places, but at the end of the day, like I, never really truly talked about certain aspects of myself because I just never got to that point where I felt really comfortable. It really wouldn't happen until I started working at the women's studies office at, at school. 
And even then, it took me a couple of years of working there before I finally like went and hung out with um there was like a, a student that had was having a party. And I finally went to a party for the first time in like, I don't know how long. And I finally was just like, you know, I want to just start living. I want to start fully embracing other aspects of my life. And I did that. And it was kind of rough because I still didn't know how to (laughs) still, I was still socially anxious and awkward because I never like worked on those skills. So, but I'm glad I went through that because now it's like, I feel like a more complete person because I'm not cutting myself off. So, so yeah, during those times, I definitely just didn't talk about anything about my, my personal life and the moment that I did come out again. And I actually, it was like during an, and it was an interview that I did for a bluegrass situation when I finally like just said on the record that like, I'm, you know, that I'm queer and, and just allowing that to be part of my story. If there was any people that fell off the grid or like decided they didn't want to be fans anymore, like it didn't really hurt me at all because with each time I've revealed a part of myself, that's really who I am. My audience is now like people that like me for me and what I do and what I stand for and believe in. So like, it's been really rewarding in a way that I didn't realize was possible. I mean, knowing there are like lots of LGBT people that love Americana and country music. And, and of course now people of color, there's more people of color now that are like, open about liking country music or wanting to play it. And it's like, it's really beautiful to see all of this happening. And um, I've been, I was so used to being the only person in the room for so long that like, now I just see this, this abundance of like love and happiness around this, around this music. now that it's like i don't know it's really inspiring and awesome so it's really great to see <laughs> and all of that music is west african roots i mean that's you know mm-hmm. it's the 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 whole i mean i love i, I talked with ali russell about this a lot but i love 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 our native daughters oh, and i love you. that album when i discovered it and i'd seen the carolina chocolate drops before because amy actually bluegrass situation amy who's on here oh nice yeah and she had taken us to a show i want to say in like 2016 or something here but um for you found that it was at east tennessee where you when you were like sort of doing your deep dive into old timey music and all that that you discovered the west african roots and is that when you picked up the banjo as well because i know you play banjo yes too. yeah that's when i i was looking into that and then i learned about the carolina chocolate drops and then i was like dude this and specifically like claw hammer style banjo where you can play the rhythm and melody yeah. at the same time which as i mentioned earlier rhythm and yeah. melody are like are my two <laughs> things that's the most important thing in a song to me um and the fact that i could do both was amazing so i started taking banjo lessons yeah like all of that really stemmed from those studies and the listening to music and hearing the Carolina chocolate drops and learning about the history. And the thing for me was that up until that point, um, I'd been also doing a deep dive in like history of like black American politics and talking up 
and talking a lot with my dad. Um, he was born in 47, so he grew up wow. like during Jim Crow. Uh, so like between his stories and between the things I'd been reading, like I, I was learning that there, that within different academic disciplines and within history, it wasn't common for people of color to be able to have the platform to tell their story, to tell their their side of the story about what is ha what's happened and how it's affected them, you know. And so when I started like realizing that there there's been so much erasure within like education about the the true dynamic of within this country of like you know systematic racism and how it permeated all kinds of industry, um, when I saw that even in music. That was kind of the last straw for me when I saw that even in music, even with something that is one of the purest forms of communicating and disarming people and bringing people together, the fact that even in this instance, Black people were denied mm. being able to record string band music because they weren't white. Like, I was just like, Ah, I was just so <laughs> mad. I was yeah. so upset about that. And I'm just like, no, nah, dude, I want to dig in deeper to this and, and, and learn more. And so for me, it was, for me, it was as much of a, obviously there was like the, just like the creative curiosity and like the academic curiosity, but then it was also just like, I'm part of a large story that involves my ancestry and my place as a musician regardless of what genre of music I am playing or that I embark on, like there is a story about music in this country and how it came to be. And I'm part of that story. And it was the first time that I really truly felt like I was part of something, you know, that was bigger than myself. I think for a long time, I kind of, I felt like I was kind of alone on an Island. Again, I've sort of isolated myself and I felt alienated and, being able to connect through music. So again, music was another way that I was able to like fully grasp, okay, it's not just me floating around by myself in the universe. Like, you know, there's a, a whole, I'm a part of an entire story that, you know, needs to continue to be told. But even in that instance, like I still, it would be like two or three years more until I like started going to therapy and really like, breaking down things. Um, I don't know. I feel like life, life to me is, or I don't know, the human brain and our lives and our societies that we live in, like, there's just like so many layers and variables of things that can happen to you that like, you just can't control. And like, I don't know. It's like the more and more that I find out about like the inner workings of my own mind and how I respond to things the more and more I realize, you know, there's only so much control that we have. And like, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but. <laughs> yeah, there's like an embracing of the yeah. unknown. And yeah. I feel like you've cultivated such a resiliency and a trust in some ways because of all the trauma you experienced. You know, you mentioned what happened to your mom and then obviously feeling so isolated and alone. It's like, I feel like there's, when you said music made you feel less alone and that you you believed in something bigger than yourself, like it it only came probably because of that resiliency and trust that you built up. I mean, I think is like, mm -hmm. I don't know that 
uh, how, so as someone, it's just interesting to me, cause you said you grew up around like a lot of Baptist churches, but you, your family particularly wasn't organized religion. You didn't practice organized religion as you've evolved mm -hmm. and done therapy and studied your mind. And like, what do you like, what do you believe now? Like, do you believe in higher power? Do you look to just like the trust in the unknown now as sort of like when you need some self-soothing or is it just the the music? Like, is there, I don't know, what does spirituality look like to you? Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Um, I had a pretty big, like pivotal moment when I, when I was in college and I took a Western humanities course and I took an Eastern religions course in the same year. And, wow. and I was like, wow, there are so many people have so many opinions about what's, what's like the correct story of how things have come to be. Like there's so many, there's so many different parts of the world, so many different time periods where people came up with so many different things to try to explain, you know, ourselves and our place in the world. You know, that has been the great burning question for humans is the meaning of life and our purpose. So for me, I think while I definitely haven't necessarily settled on any particular like organized religion or like any specific philosophy where I've like read and thought about a lot of different things, I've I guess where I land currently is music kind of, for me, music is the centerpiece of communication and for having spiritually moving moments. I think you can have a spiritually moving moment and it doesn't necessarily have to be explicitly religious or explicitly like, I guess, following a specific philosophical thought. Uh, I think a lot of the running themes that are in all of these different philosophical thoughts and religious thoughts are themes in life that we all experience. We all experience loss. We all experience grief. We all experience uh, conflict. We all experience joy. And so I feel like I feel like music is kind of like the common denominator or like the conduit for like being able to like accurately express all of these different feelings and emotions that we have as humans. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the spirituality really falls in with the music. It also falls in with just the feeling of like camaraderie with people that you're close to. And um, I think that's where spirituality kind of lies for me is like the relationships that I have with people that I care about and, um, music being that way of like communicating or celebrating with life with people i don't know that's God, sort of that that's my that's my working my working thought at the moment um but yeah so I know there's been a ton of scientific studies about like happiness because everybody's obsessed with <laughs> ultimate, like what makes you happiest. And like the, I think the number one thing that they found is that 
your relationships with people are de what determine ultimately. It's not career. It's not money. It's not the things that sometimes people believe it to be. So the fact that you say you found like your like meaning and truth in that and the spirituality of like being around with people and the music, it like, oh, it makes me feel so good and happy. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're right. Cause I, that's, there's nothing greater in our lives than that. And, and I, I mean, I feel like too, it's a lot of like, I don't know how you feel about this, but I've been thinking a lot about like meaning and like, what is my purpose and all of that, which yeah. is like all the Carl Jung in it, Jungian philosophy, any, any religion, <laughs> anything you read is like, we have to find our purpose, but it's also just so damn annoying. It's like, <laughs> I don't know what my purpose is and I'm yeah. sick of trying to find it and stress myself out or get burnout because of it. But yeah. I think maybe the purpose for all of us is just the connection to each other and the love, yeah. like with our relationships and mm -hmm. Yeah. Know. And I think I think also um, finding your purpose. I also for one, I think it's OK to like not know what your purpose is at yeah. the current moment. And also, I feel like your purpose can also change throughout yeah. life, you know, and I think I think I, I have a bit of a gripe with like the I guess with like the the positivity genre yeah. of literature and that it comes across as if like in order to be positive and happy and fulfill your purpose like you basically have to like ignore or try to ignore like the negative feelings mm -hmm. that that come up and i think what spiritual a lot of bypass that's what they call it the spiritual oh, bypassing yeah. of like oh i'm just so happy i'm gonna think positive thoughts yeah dude and that is like Oh my God, the so worst. dangerous. It is <laughs> so, so dangerous. dangerous to ignore your negative feelings. That's how passive aggression happens. That's how, that's how people have like meltdowns and like have outbursts and freak out because they've been repressing for so long um, and putting on, I guess, a happy face, if you will. Um, I think it is so important. I think another thing too is, is like, there's nothing inherently wrong with like being angry with being sad with you know having maybe some negative thoughts but it's how you decide to act on them and i think that's something that's really important that um i think people feel like well if i'm thinking bad thoughts i'm a bad person or like i can't be happy if i have these bad thoughts and it's like realizing that like embracing that anger thinking about why are you angry what has happened to make you angry and then deciding okay now how am i going to act on this am i you know am i going to be physically violent or am i going to like go run on a treadmill for like 45 minutes or whatever it might be like how am i going to like release this energy um but recognizing it first is that so important because your brain does what it wants to do. I mean, if you keep repressing the anger, then like your brain's going to find a way to release it and you're not even going to realize it. And like, that's, that's just, that's just how, that's just kind of the way of things. So I just really feel like it's just so disingenuous to like sell an idea to people that like you can somehow, like, as you said, like bypass your negative thoughts like it's just it's not possible and the sooner we can all grasp onto that and understand that 
and be okay to sit with our thoughts and feelings than like, I mean, just going to continue to not be happy, which <laughs> is counterintuitive, but you know. Yeah, yeah. And there's like a deep rooted acceptance that comes from not bypassing because you're not trying not to be. I mean, that's one of the things over my, you know, lifelong struggle with panic attacks is like the worst thing to do when you're having a panic attack is to try not to have a panic attack. But that's all, all of our first. We just want the feelings to go away. But there's like this radical acceptance that has to happen in order for you to move through it. And that that sort of knowledge that like this too shall pass. I like the whole like nature, seasonal, um, everything is a season. Grief is a season. Joy yeah. is a season. So even when you're at your most joy filled, you know, a lot of times people are nervous. Like, I don't want this to go away, but like, ultimately there is going to be a day where you're not joyful because it's, it's yeah. all a it's process. Just, yeah. Yeah. And the thing about when you have that moment of joy, like, the minute that you start thinking about, oh no, this joy is going to go away. Like you've already like kind of missed yeah. the point, like, yeah. like living in the moment. And that's something that I've like, like I've started, um, during quarantine. I also like, um, I downloaded this app called headspace and like started like doing like meditation and doing meditation courses and stuff like that. And I definitely like, don't, I did it like, pretty much every day for like six months. And now it's, I don't do it as much, but what I learned from meditating is like learning just how to like be in the present moment and then finding a way to carry that into other aspects of your life when you're interacting with other people. And it's like, it's easier said than done. I mean, it definitely doesn't always happen just because that's, you know, that's just kind of how that is. But the more and more I've been able to like, consciously like live in the present and just enjoy a moment um it's like it's pretty great and even with even with like you know dealing with grief or dealing with loss or dealing with like sadness just being like you know what i'm sad today and you know that's that's how it is you know and whatever i need to do you know whether i need to talk to someone or go for a walk or play video games or read a book or whatever, you know, like just, but letting yourself have those moments and then find that thing that you can do to like, you know, soothe yourself. But even in those moments of like living in the moment of like your grief, like letting yourself cry. Yeah. Those are such powerful, it's such a powerful position to be in to like accept even your lowest lows and still, and find a way to like work through it. But like you need help, you know, like yeah. it's again, it's not a thing where you want to keep it to yourself. Because like I said, I did that for a while and, you know, with mixed results. So. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much, Weather. This has been, I feel like I like want to go back in this episode and write down everything you said because oh, well, you. <laughs> I feel like I'm like need to be reminded of these things too. And I think that's that's 
all of us need, like you said, with headspace. Oh yeah, I need I need to be reminded yeah, too. I have we to. All yeah, do. <laughs> I'm like yeah. I've been a meditator for ten years, and let me tell you, it doesn't. All, I and I do it pretty much every day, and it's still I have trouble. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, I had a panic attack the other day. Like it happens, and like you yeah. said, you go for a walk, you read the book, you just let yourself live in it, and then it goes away yeah. eventually. Yeah. Um. Okay. So you can only bring three records with you to a deserted island. What would they be, and why? Oh, okay. Um, oh, hell. <laughs> um, Tragic Kingdom by No Doubt. Oh, yeah. I love that. That record is like, so I, I can have like a like an upbeat, like fun, fun record and the musicianship and the songwriting and everything about that record is just brilliant. Really absolutely love it. Um, see the next thing i would bring would be I'm trying to think which tori amos album i would bring oh it's because i'd have to bring at least one of those i think i would i think i would bring from the choir girl hotel because that's mm. the first tori amos record that i ever bought and like i just the production and just the weird kind of places that she went like experimentally with sounds was like really cool. So yeah, I'd say that one. Um, and then the third one, kind of feel like it would be The Bends by Radiohead. That's Ooh. also another album that I really, really love. Um, and then an honorable mention. Yes, is, you um, can totally have that. <laughs> um, A Thousand Forms of Fear by Sia. Oh, yeah, cool. I, I, I love her. So yeah, I that's like an honorable mention. I mean, there's like so many obviously like I know this is I, I always take this kind of question so seriously. So seriously. <laughs> it's supposed to be fun and lighthearted. But I'm like, wait a minute. What if I actually what if this actually happens? But but yeah, those are my answers. I'll leave those there in case I those change are really good. I've changed my mind. I've said them on this podcast. And I've already changed the ones I would bring to it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you, if you have like, like love music that yeah, you can't exactly. you don't know what mood you're going to be in. Maybe right. you want, I've been listening to a lot of English countryside soundtracks like Pride and Prejudice and like Little oh, Women. Nice. And yeah. it's like, maybe I'm in that mood that day. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, awesome. What subject do you Google the most? Oh, what do I Google the most? Part of me almost wants to check. This is not something I think about a lot. <laughs> Um, honestly, I probably Google shoes the most, mm. <laughs> honestly, like I really, I, I love shoes a lot. Um, like boots, like sneakerhead, like what's your, um, well, you know, I was a sneakerhead for when I was younger and then I moved into the boot world and now I'm like getting back into sneaker world. So oh, okay. now I've got a a foot and each, a foot and each, <laughs> and each kind. Um, yeah, I think it's shoes awesome. right That's now. So yeah. good. I love it. <laughs> um, so we asked just everyone, cause I'm obsessed with Dolly Parton. And I know you said you listened to her growing up, but, uh, yeah. have you ever met her? Do you have any good Dolly stories? Oh my gosh. I have been there. I, I'm, I feel like I am so close to actually meeting her. Cause there's been two different instances. So, so I did like a Dolly Parton tribute in Scotland. Ooh. I mean, it's not like she was there or anything, but like 
that was like to me in my mind it was like the first step of like oh and I'm, I'm being invited to a dolly parton tribute yeah. night so like maybe this will lead i don't know maybe the universe is like sending me some signals um that's where i actually met uh yola for the first time ever I, this was in 2014 um so <laughs> so that so that event brought me and yola together which was great um cool. but yeah so i did that and then i did a song for a uh, a compilation record and it was all songs that were collected um in the great smoky mountains Ooh. yeah but i recorded a song on there and dolly parton also recorded a song for <laughs> the same thing now obviously i wasn't in the same room as her you know but like so we were both on on the, the record same, though on, on yeah. the record and i'm like okay so this is and so my next thing is um well i don't know i've been to Do i've been to dollywood a, a couple of times but like so i don't know i mean that doesn't really mean anything but i just you know I i'm hoping that all of these points of light are going to come together eventually so we'll see i know you're going to meet her you're going to meet her soon and then i hope i'm yeah. at wherever you are and i get to yeah. hang out with her too yeah um, that's awesome okay final question the blank room exercise so if you don't mind close your eyes oh sure <laughs> go into a blank room what are you hearing right now i'm hearing jolene Ooh, that's my favorite answer. What are you smelling? Um, I'm smelling blueberry cinnamon coffee mm. that, I, that I buy from a local coffee shop. That's like my favorite flavor oh my of all God. time. I'm smelling Dreamy. that. Yeah. Is that in Nashville? No, it's in uh, it's in Elizabethan, Tennessee, Ooh, um, which is like okay. 20 minutes away from where I live. But yeah. Awesome. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I, I took you out of your <laughs> <laughs> What are what are you tasting? What am I tasting? Uh, I'm tasting said coffee with a little bit of half and half in there. Mm, what are you touching? I'm touching my keyboard, probably looking up shoes. <laughs> and, and what are you seeing, even though it's a blank room? It's not blank anymore. Uh, I'm seeing guitars hanging on the wall. I'm seeing amps stacked <laughs> around the room. I see pedals and different gear. I see, I see a studio is what I see. It's like awesome. my dream. It's like a, yeah. Your dream I studio. My, I see my dream studio right now. Uh, Drinking amazing. the coffee, listening to Jolene, looking up I mean, shoes. Can yeah. we all do that right now? That sounds, <laughs> yeah. This sounds great. I wish yeah. I was there right now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Amethyst. You're amazing. Um, I adore you, and this was so wonderful. I'm so oh. Thank you. So awesome to hang out and talk to you yeah. today. It was really cool. Yeah, it was uh. awesome. <laughs> Thank you everyone so much for listening. I hope you loved Amethyst as much as I did. So now I leave you for now. Please keep up with us on harmonicspodcast.com. I'm going to take care of my mental and physical health. I want you to do the same. I'm sending you all so much love and I will see you later. <laughs> <laughs>